Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and I'm joined by... Me, Brother Thomas Therese, come at OP. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Not too bad, thank you. Yeah. Looking forward to Christmas, it's fast approaching. I feel like this this Advent has gone incredibly quickly. It we're has gone already, very quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're already coming up to the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're a week I'm away. I'm excited though. A yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait for all the festivities and yeah the christmas carols in particular i'm looking forward to i'm, I'm a bit sort of uh sore about midnight mass this year because we're not having mass at midnight we're going to have mass at night time but it's uh, it's just not the same is it you know i love midnight mm. mass that's my that's my thing but yeah I might, I might be able certain... to go to a neighboring parish or something and be yeah. able to pick up pick up a midnight mass there <laughs> so there's always a bit of a, a special atmosphere when it comes to midnight mass or or the the vigil for Easter, this was something that's um, particularly atmospheric about it. Anticipation sort of rises, especially the two highlights when you've got of the, the year. Really. Carols, yeah, especially when you've got the carols. Everyone's singing together. I mean, I don't know if it'd be the same this year if people would be able to sing. I remember last year that it wasn't the same. So, yeah, yeah. I think this year, I th- I think I think we are allowed to have hymns and things. Um, here in England, I think we are allowed to have hymns, uh, so I think we're planning it. Or yeah. at least, I, I think. I mean, I don't know. Nothing's really been mentioned to me yet. We'll just have to just have to wait and see. Anyway, what is it that we're doing today? Yeah, today's subject we're, we're doing Matthew's infancy narrative. So last week we spent some time on Luke's infancy narratives, and I found that personally very beneficial actually to go through and spend some time on on those stories and and to look at the narrative of those first few chapters of Luke's gospel and this week I thought it would be beneficial to go through Matthew's gospel and to look at some of the things which are uh, similar and complementary uh, but also some of the things that are different and to yeah, spend some time on those. So what, what would you say is distinctive about Matthew's infancy narrative compared to Luke's? Well there's quite a lot actually I mean both of them have uh, a lot of unique material but maybe the first thing that I want to say is that the two accounts aren't in conflict they have unique material, but it's unique and complementary. So I, I, I think that Luke wrote his gospel probably after Matthew, and I think he intended it to complement Matthew's gospel. I, th- I think Luke basically intends his gospel to be read or understood as a, as a parallel to Matthew's. And I think this is why we see so many sort of complementary things in the two narratives, right? So in Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. In Matthew's gospel, the angel appears to Joseph. In Luke's gospel, we have the shepherds. In Matthew's gospel, we have the three magi or the three kings, the three wise men. Uh, Although I should probably add on that note, the scriptures do not say how many wise men were there. Uh, So, I mean, we say three. Do they say how many shepherds? No, they don't. They don't. They just say shepherds. They just say magi. They don't tell us how many. The reason why we always say three wise men is because there are three gifts. But of course, there could have been more people from the East. Maybe there was a whole caravan of people from the East. And this is why they caught uh, Herod's attention. Maybe. Um, Who Mm. knows? What, What about what about animals? Um, Well, I, I think I mean, we do know that the the child Jesus was laid in a manger. Uh, We have that. It doesn't say anything about other animals, but if there is a manger, you know, it's not really out there to say that there are animals. So, so a manger would be a, a feeding trough, essentially. Yeah, basically. A feeding yeah. trough for animals. Yeah. Is it is it right to say that Luke's gospel spends more time on 
the events leading up to the birth of Christ and Matthew's infancy narratives spend more time after. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I mean, Luke's, Luke's account, generally speaking, is longer anyway than Matthew's uh, in the infancy narratives. You have the appearance of the angel to Zechariah. You have the whole John the Baptist storyline, how John the Baptist came to be. You have Mary visiting Elizabeth. You have the angel appearing to Mary. All of those things happen before Jesus is born. And then after Jesus is born, I mean, you have them going to the temple, the Holy Family going to the temple and things. Whereas in Matthew's gospel, you have the genealogy, uh, you have a bit about kings and uh, meeting Herod then you, and, and the birth. But then afterwards, you have the flight into Egypt. You have the Holy Family coming back from Egypt. You have the wise men going back by a different route. You have the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. You, you have all sorts of stuff going on. So Luke's account, generally speaking, is longer. Most of Matthew's sort of flavor, I mean, it is, it is distinct and unique anyway, but a lot of the flavor is sort of built up afterwards a lot of the drama so yeah they have unique material but it, it's complementary so as i said before the angel appears to mary in the gospel of luke uh, the angel appears to joseph in in gospel of matthew in matthew's gospel we have the prophecy of isaiah saying that you know a child will be born to a virgin in luke's account mary says to the angel, how will this be, since I have not known a man, basically, meaning, since I am a virgin, how will this be? So Matthew tells us something through the prophecy of Isaiah, and Luke's account has it on the words of Mary's lips. In a similar way, in Mary's song, the Magnificat, Mary sings the, the mighty have been cast from their thrones. Well, in Matthew's gospel, we see King Herod deposed by God himself, the infant king. The thing about Matthew's gospel especially in the infancy narratives he's really really keen to emphasize that jesus is of the royal line of david he's the king returned god is returning as king to his people and this is again another reason why the herod story is so interesting herod is so upset by this idea of this new king of this threat that herod is is moved to murder basically and of course herod is the, the king of the Jews, self-titled king of the Jews. So this is why he would be so threatened because he's he's tried to make himself the king of the Jews. He, he married a... But he's not Jewish himself, was he? He, he married a, a Jewish woman to in order to make himself seem like the king of the Jews. And now here comes a baby who, who people are claiming is the king of the Jews, the real king mm. of the Jews. So yeah, it deposes King Herod. One last point on the Matthew and Luke sort of parallel sort of reading them in a complementary way i think if you look at luke's account with the shepherds and then you look at the magi in matthew's account we see that christ traverses different social demographics as well as nations so the magi come from the east right they're gentiles they're from the east they're from far off and they gather towards the lord they're from a different social milieu to the shepherds who were very much of lower state in the culture of the time. So you have people who are high and low, who are near and far, all being drawn together around the Lord, which of course is what we see uh, in the Old Testament prophecies is supposed to happen, that all people are to be gathered together around the Lord. And so you see when you read those accounts complementary, you see that happening. So both Gospels start with a, a genealogy. 
Is there something distinctive about the genealogies? Well, I, I suppose one of the first differences between them is Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy, whereas in Luke's gospel, you don't get there till chapter three. So Jesus has already been born um, before we get to the genealogy in Luke. Uh, the genealogy in Luke begins, you know, Jesus, when he began his mystery, was about 30 years of age and being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And then you go through all of this all of this genealogy and in luke's gospel they focus on the the male line and it goes all the way back to adam who is called the son of god and of course here i think in luke's genealogy what we're having is christ being presented as the second adam you know uh, as the son of god and it sort of traces his family lineage but actually in matthew's gospel you, we have a lot of women in we have a lot of women in the genealogy and what we see is a much more complex genealogy he wants to stress that jesus is of the royal house of david so at the beginning of matthew's gospel i'll just read it out to you what we have is the genealogy of jesus the messiah the son of david the son of abraham in luke's gospel the genealogy starts from jesus and then goes to joseph and works all the way back up to adam the son of god Matthew's gospel goes the other way around. So this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it starts from Abraham and goes all the way down to Joseph. And then it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So you have this slightly different emphasis. And why? What point is Matthew trying to make? Uh, or what point is, is Luke trying to make that's slightly different to, to Matthew's? Well, Matthew is concerned fundamentally, I think, with three things in his genealogy. There are three things I think we can take away. The first one being that Jesus is the son of David. So he's of a kingly line uh, and he's related to David and Solomon, the great kings of Israel. As another thing that we want to take away from this is that he's a son of Abraham. He's a son of the promise and that Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of the promises that we see in the in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the, the promise given to Abraham and to his descendants, and he redeems his family tree. And this brings me on to the third, the third thing, uh, which is that Jesus' family history is complex. You know, he, his family tree, just like all of our family trees, are full of sinful people the fall of sinners we have a prostitute in there you know david himself commits serious sin and, and solomon too so it shows us that god is not just unafraid of associating himself with sinners it shows us that god actually does associate himself with sinners it's not like in principle god has no problem with it it's like not only does he have no problem with it in principle god also chooses to be born as part of this history and this family tree and this tells us something about the identity of jesus christ and this is matthew's uh really central key point really jesus's family history tells us something about his importance who he is what he comes to do he's returning as the king he's returning as the fulfillment of israel's hopes and he returns to redeem his people as savior 
And this should give us hope in the church, of course, because we are then incorporated into the family of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We are united to him, as Paul says, as members of his body. So in a very intimate way, not just as a, as a sort of organization, but as, as family members, as members of, of his body in a very intimate way. So God unites himself to sinners to redeem them and to to save them and to sanctify them. So there are three things I would say that we can take away from from the genealogy. Would you say genealogies are are important because of, of that point linking uh, Matthew's linking Jesus to the larger plot of of human history, larger plot of salvation history and and that's why it's important. Absolutely. And I mean I think this is why we see Gentiles included mm. in Matthew's genealogy as well. There's something quite expansive uh, about this. Also, the fact that this genealogy includes men and it includes women as well. You know, I think it's very, very important and interesting that Matthew says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Now, why doesn't Matthew just say, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, who is the father of Jesus? No, no, no. He says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. So he avoids saying that Joseph is the father, the actual biological father of Jesus. Why does he do that? Because he wants to emphasize again, Jesus is the son of God. And this is what we see done in Luke's genealogy is just done in a slightly different way. You know, son of Adam, son of God. So yeah, I, I, I think that's very true. It's supposed to be expansive, it's encompassing, and it's done in a... Uh, yeah, the way in which he goes about it is important. I should probably just add, uh, I know it's probably a little bit late now after we've been throwing around the word genealogy all the time, what a genealogy is. So we all talk about genetics, don't we? Uh, well, a genealogy is like, it's a detailed listing of Jesus's ancestors in this case. So it's a detailed listing of ancestors. That's what a genealogy is. It's like a family tree. So, you know, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so is the father of so-and-so. It's, uh, yeah, a detailed listing of uh, the ancestors of a person. And the purpose of it is it shows you their family history. It shows you their family tree. It shows you, it gives you context for these people. And Luke and Matthew want to teach us something by the way in which they have constructed their genealogies of Jesus. It's also, there's also something very distinctive about Matthew's gospel in terms of it, it he says over and over again about fulfillment so he quotes so often from the old testament he he quotes word from word from old testament passages and i suppose even with this genealogy he's doing that so it opens by saying that jesus christ is the son of david the son of abraham and what this recalls what this calls to mind is that you know, david is the king and that god promised to david that someone would sit on mm. the, the throne that a descendant of his a son of his would have an everlasting throne and then also to the to abraham those three great promises of a great nation a great name and a great blessing yeah one of the things that you said there that again i think it's really important to come back to is this idea of fulfillment the fulfillment of what was spoken of by the prophets so matthew actually says in the genealogy himself this was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet jeremiah and we see quotes from Isaiah, we see Micah, uh, Hosea, and actually Matthew isn't afraid of sort of smushing up different parts of scripture. You know, he has something, I think it's from 
part of a quote from Samuel, I think, and part of a quote from Micah talking about Bethlehem, and he sort of smushes them up. He's not afraid to sort of take different parts of Scripture, sort of put them together like they're supposed to be right next to each other and say, this is about Christ, which is a very interesting approach to Scripture. That idea of Christ, uh, of Jesus, being the fulfillment of the hopes and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets is very important for Matthew. This is the the king who has uh, the promised return of God as king to his people. And this is why we see so much emphasis on kingship, on David, on Herod, on the Magi coming from the east to worship. It's crucial, crucial stuff that's supposed to set the scene for everything else that you see of how God's kingship and God's reign, what does God's reign look like? We should probably say something actually a little bit about uh, Jesus's name. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which is, we will remember, of course, Joshua was a great leader of Israel. Uh, The name, do you remember what the name means? No, you tell me. Oh, (laughs) I thought it was on the tip of your tongue. Uh, It means God saves. God saves. Now, Joshua was a great warrior leader of the nation of israel moses of course leads the people out of egypt and he leads the people out of egypt not so much just to get away from from the egyptians and economic oppression and all the rest of it but primarily so that they can worship the lord so that they can worship the lord and then because of the sins of the people moses is allowed to see the promised land but he's not allowed to enter who is it that leads the people into the promised land joshua and then he has this conquest there's a military uh, sort of conquest that's that's spoken about, which I think is more about um, not compromising with evil and being free to worship the Lord than it is driving people out the land. Um, and so, what then? What then do we see with Christ? Well, Christ, uh, Jesus, the Holy Family, are forced to flee into Egypt, which reminds us, of course, of Joseph in the Old Testament being sold into slavery. Jesus has to leave Bethlehem. They, they flee into Egypt because of the slaughter of the innocents. Uh, he has to run away. Uh, and then he has to go back into the promised land. And he crosses that same river that Joshua would have crossed. So again, we have calling to mind the Passover experiences and the giving of the new law and the, the conquest Uh, of this great warrior but of course there is one who is greater than David here there is one who is greater than uh, Moses here there is one who is greater than Joshua here we have God himself God himself fighting for his people as we read in the Psalms Um, and what what's he conquering what what's his mission it's to is it to overthrow the Romans no it's not it's to Uh, or maybe in a sort of tangential sense, maybe. Uh, But it's to conquer people through love, to conquer people's hearts, uh, to win the greatest battle of all, the battle over sin and death. That's what God comes to do. He comes to establish his reign by inaugurating new life for his people, by allowing them then to pass over into the heavenly Jerusalem when they die, you know, to pass over from death into life, from the ways of sin and death and destruction into, yeah, new life. And also, what else does he do? He inaugurates his new covenant 
again, that we see this sort of perfection of worship that comes about as God institutes his, his, his new covenant. So there's, there's a lot going on there. And the name would have recalled to people's minds these stories that they heard and they knew so well. It's important that he's born of the line of David and he's from this kingly line because it calls people's minds promises and hopes and there's something special about him. You know, it's important that he that it's brought to mind that he is a son of Abraham. You know, he's he's uh, of the Jewish line. He's he's uh, of good Jewish stock, as it were. It's, it's important. But also Matthew is very also keen to emphasize that he also has a complex family history. Uh, and again, that emphasizes that he comes as redeemer. He comes as savior to his people. I think you see in, in the angels addressed to Joseph, um, something along along that theme as well because the angel says to joseph that you will name the son g you will name the the baby jesus and the angel then goes on to explain why because he will save his people from their sins and so what you're saying there is joshua is god saves he, god saves or yahweh is salvation something like that but the angel is saying actually this baby is the one who saves so uh, th there is this this link here that Jesus himself is the one who is going to bring salvation. The angel is, I mean, it's almost like a subtle association of Jesus himself as God. And as you say there, uh, wh what is Jesus going to save them from? Well, if he's if he's like Joshua, who saves the people from, uh, brings them into the promised land, saves them from the slavery of uh, uh, into Egypt, Jesus has saved them not from that, but from slavery to sin and the angel says that because he will save his people from their sins yeah and and again you you also have in luke's gospel to draw us back to that parallel where you're talking about you know he's there to save us from our sins he's there to heal us uh, of our sins in luke's gospel of course the angels say to the shepherds unto you a savior is born uh you know so he's in both accounts again very early on it's clearly identified that this child is the savior. This child is the Messiah, the anointed one, and the one who has been promised to us. So uh, yeah, just to sort of reemphasize again, the sort of the harmony of the two accounts, even though they have different, different or unique material, you can blend them and harmonize them. But I think it is also important to recognize that they're found in two different gospels. So yes, they're found in two different gospels, but they're united as scripture. So then we can bring them together. We shouldn't be afraid to sort of smush them together a little bit, just like Matthew smushes together, you know, Samuel and, and Micah when he's talking about Bethlehem. There's also in Matthew's first chapter, the title which is given to Jesus, and uh, that he, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I think th that's something that's very distinctive about Matthew's gospel, may, and maybe also with John's gospel as well, where it says that, um, that the word came to dwell amongst us. Um, but yeah, in, in Matthew's gospel, there's this idea that so God is with us, that God comes searching for us. And this sort of this sort of undoes what happens with Adam and Eve. If you think back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, they, they sin. Um, but in order to unite them again in this communion of love, God comes after them. He goes in search of them. And he he brings them back into this communion by becoming a baby himself and you've, you've described it 
as, as that as well. So the word is made flesh and dwelt amongst us in order to bring us back into communion with him. So something distinctive about Matthew's gospel is the annunciation to Joseph. Uh, and in Luke's gospel, something distinctive to Luke's gospel is the annunciation to Mary. I haven't actually heard it called annunciation to Joseph until recently. But why, why do you think it's called, why do you think it's referred to as that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, ordinarily, of course, when we think about the Annunciation, we think of it in terms of the Rosary, and we think about uh, Annunciation being when the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary in the in the Gospel of Luke. Annunciation just means like a message is given, you know, an announcement is given. So you, I think we can call the the angel talking to Joseph uh, an Annunciation. Uh, we can, I think, talk about the angel talking to Zachariah in Luke's gospel as the Annunciation. But most of the time, of course, when we talk about an Annunciation, most of the, or when we talk about the Annunciation, we're talking about the angel speaking to Mary. So what happens in the Annunciation to Joseph is that the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph, but in a dream. So it's different from the appearance to Mary and the announcement is made uh, while Mary is awake. Whereas with Joseph, it's in a dream. And obviously that links to Joseph in the Old Testament, the, the man of dreams. <laughs> so there is a, a link there. Uh, but in Matthew's Gospel, the announcement that the angel Gabriel makes is that Joseph should not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Of, of course, as tradition, we, we were told that the angel Gabriel is the one who who speaks to Joseph. But in Matthew's Gospel, I, I, I think it's, it says that just the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in oh. a dream. That's just another an interesting, an interesting facet. Because, of course, in, in the Old Testament, we have the angel of the Lord sort of spoken of fairly often but i mean you're quite right i mean tradition does say that uh, or does associate the angel of the lord with joseph in, in this instance and uh yeah it is very interesting that joseph in the old testament of course interprets dreams and in this uh in matthew's account twice the angel of the lord appears to joseph in a dream so firstly to say you know do not be afraid to take mary as your as your wife uh, because she's conceived of the Holy Spirit. But also the angel of the Lord appears again to say, get up, take the child and his mother and escape into Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And, but the angel appears again a third time. The angel of the Lord appears a third time. And again, in a dream to Joseph. It's always in a dream to Joseph and says, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So it, it is it's a very interesting sort of series of things. Like, you know, sometimes I wonder whether Joseph had more dreams uh, with the angel. But these are the three anyway that are given to us and recorded in Scripture. Is there some some significance to naming uh, the angel as the angel of the Lord then? So there's some significance to that. I, I think I think there could be. I mean, obviously in the in the Old Testament. I mean, I haven't I haven't sort of looked into this in any detail. But in the Old Testament, you have the angel of the Lord spoken of often, uh, an angel of the Lord, an important character that we that we find in the Old Testament. And I mean, of course, all angels are, are angels of the Lord. But yeah, there's, there is, I think, something significant there. So the angel of the Lord, of course, going before the armies of 
God's people, protecting them and, and shielding uh, his people. So there's a sort of protective role there, protecting Israel. But yeah, I mean, of course, angel, just angelos, meaning messenger, messenger of the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream. But maybe we should say something about Joseph's character, because Joseph is described as a just man and a fair man, as someone who doesn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. So I remember you telling me, uh, my brother Thomas Aquinas sort of says that the reason why Joseph is afraid to take Mary as his wife is because he recognizes there is something unique and particular about this circumstance, you know, that uh, she is going to give birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it's maybe at this moment that, that Joseph is, that it's revealed to Joseph Jesus's mission. You know, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Very interesting, isn't it? But I, I think that the reason why Joseph who's a man faithful to the law and, and uh, you know, is a just man, wants to uh, divorce Mary quietly is perhaps because of the, the great reverence that he has uh, for her. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. He's afraid to take Mary home uh, as his wife, perhaps out of fear for the Lord. And what, what the angel says to Joseph is, no, this is the will of the Lord. What is conceived as her in her is from the Holy Spirit. We don't know what sort of conversation Joseph and, and Mary had had. Maybe Mary told Joseph that the angel had, had appeared to her, and maybe Joseph was sort of in awe. Because what do we find when people encounter the divine? Uh, what do we find when people encounter angels? The angels always say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, meaning do not be afraid of my presence. Do not be afraid of coming into contact with something that is heavenly, which is out of the ordinary. In this case, um, you know, Joseph not wanting to to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had a mind to, to divorce her quietly. Maybe Mary and Joseph had had a conversation where Mary had spoken to Joseph and told her what what was to be fulfilled in her. And Joseph, out of reverence and fear for for the Lord and, and coming into contact with with heavenly realities, um, sort of thinks, OK, then I have to I have to bow out then because Mary is reserved for the Lord. She is she belongs to the Lord. She is to give birth to Christ, to the Lord. Uh, she's to give birth to 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 the Son of God, and so they, there might be this sort of holy reverential fear that Joseph has uh, for for the reality of the situation that is before him. Well, it's certainly a, a theory that's put forward by many of the saints through the centuries. I think of Saint Bernard of Clairvaux and Saint Thomas Aquinas, as you said, Saint Basil, Saint Ephraim. Yeah, so it's it's held by quite a few different saints through the centuries so it's certainly a consistent theory it'd be interesting to to maybe do a bit more research on this uh, look into it a bit further but where wh when did the suspicion theory or the perplexity theory you know the, the the two ideas that joseph suspected mary of adultery and so pursued to divorce her uh, according to the jewish law uh, where did that come from or, mm. or the other theory the perplexity theory that joseph found the situation of mary's pregnancy inexplicable and 
and thought that divorce was the only option but because he was a just man he tried to do it quietly and not and not to put to public yes. shame i mean i i know their 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 theories um but yeah i i think it's it's more fitting that it would be the that mm. that reverential fear that of, of what the lord has yeah. done um reverence and humility towards the miraculous work of of god really of course another purpose i think of this this part of the story is that it makes it very clear that jesus is not joseph's biological son yeah yeah I think that's right. something that comes very clearly through this story that it, on any account that we that we have to try and understand what's going on here and and you know verse 19 in chapter one joseph uh having in mind to divorce her quietly whatever explanation we come up with in all of them part of that account is that jesus is not joseph's biological son but of course the lord does intend jesus to be part of the house of david part of joseph's house so then for joseph to uh, have christ as his adopted adopted son and of course in the scriptures we do find people say is this not the son of mary and joseph uh, you know is this not you know the 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 carpenter's boy you know from nazareth uh, can anything good come from nazareth that sort of thing so don't we know his father and his mother and his brethren so i i think what matthew is doing here in in his gospel is showing how jesus is related to joseph in one in one way and so then has claimed to to be the rightful true king of israel but then is not joseph's son in another way mm. I think that's a very good point. So I think we'll draw our episode to a close. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you found this episode helpful and useful, please share it with other people. And make sure, please be sure to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, Brother Thomas, will, will we be back next week? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back with another episode just before Christmas. So please uh, look out for that. And God bless. God bless you.